a stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Utah's best athletes count on flexibility, speed, strength. And the Jazz pick up their 22nd assist. So they count on University of Utah help. Brielle Soleil puts this game away. And so can you. Leading doctors, a world-class environment, award-winning innovation, care to be great. 14 unanswered by the Utes. University of Utah Health, caring for Utah's best and yours. Schedule your appointment now at uofuhealth.org slash care to be great. Let's lock in. This is Unrivaled. Yes! Yes! The teams you live for, the sports you love. With Scott Mitchell and Alex Keery, presented by G2G Bars on 97.5 the KSL Sports Zone. So, so, so. Hey everybody, welcome back. It is Unrivaled 97.5 the KSL Sports Zone. Alex Keery, former NFL quarterback Scott Mitchell to my right, and we are plowing along here on another show. Thanks for being with us on a Wednesday. We're just going to jump right in here. And we're going to put the food talk behind us, Scott. All right? All the, all the food talk and all the disagreements we have that are based on food, we're better than that. Okay? It's just based on pizza. <laughs> Let's jump in here. We're going to have a little bit more of a discussion here. on uh, now, that it, now that there's been a bow put on the NFL uh, combine, now we look toward the draft and what could come of it. We're going to start the show off here with our guest from CBS Sports, Josh Edwards. That's where we're going to kick things off at the cut. Let's do it. The other question. Undeniable, unrivaled. Top sports story of the hour. Here's what made the cut. All right, the cut presented by G2G Bars, all natural ingredients, no preservatives, plenty of protein. G2G Bars, you've heard us talking about them for a long time. Give it a shot yourself. Perfect for anybody who needs that quick, tasty, and nutritious boost. And also, Spherion.com slash Utah. Spherion helps you get the job hunt done with. It also helps you find that great hire as well. Spherion.com slash Utah. Spherion staffing and recruiting. Josh Edwards joins us, CBS Sports uh, NFL draft expert. Josh, thanks for being with us, man. What's up? Oh, not too much. How about yourself? Oh, we're just doing a little radio show here. No problem. <laughs> We uh, we have a lot of guys here locally that we are of uh, that we have are of massive interest for us when it comes to everything. First, with the NFL Combine this year, is there like a is there an overall feeling from year to year like oh man, this was an insane combine or ah this year is not a great combine? Uh, does that ever happen or is it across the board like we have such insane athletes who are participating in this thing now that it, it would be hard to think that it was such a bust? But does the combine get really, really good one year and not great another year? Uh, yes and no. I think it fluctuates, you know, based on the talent that is available specifically at each individual position. Last year we saw Jordan Davis and Trevon Walker put up these freakish numbers out of Georgia and then what Anthony Richardson did this year. Yeah, so I think there's always those storylines that you can kind of latch on to coming out of the combine, but really it's just reflective of the draft class as a whole. So, 
at the top of the class. I think there's some really elite talents. And then once you get past that first seven, eight, you know, ten, however many players it is, you've got this next group that's kind of jumbled together. Somebody that's number 15 on one team's board could be number 50 on another team's board. So I think there's a lot of volatility uh, across the board. And we kind of saw that from the combine this past week with some of these perceived top prospects kind of testing lower than what we expected. I, you know, I'm curious. I haven't really asked anyone this, but I'm curious what you think about this. What's the best evaluator of talent? Is it the combine? Is it watching film? Is it the senior bowl uh, pro days? What is the best way for, for someone to assess and evaluate uh, the talent that's in any, in any draft? Yeah, I think your basis has to be the film. Um, you know, what they do on a weekly basis, how they rise to certain occasions, you know, whether that means you're an FCS player rising and playing a power five player. Uh, maybe you got hurt one week and you're gritting through a performance. Um, you know, there's a lot of different things that we can take from the film, but overall, I think once you get a, a solid foundation of watching these players, uh, you know, at least three to five games, you kind of get a feel for their general athleticism, what they do well, what their weaknesses are on the football field. And then you kind of have to dissect those weaknesses and determine what's correctable and what's not. So, I mean, these these teams go through everything, as I'm sure you know. They go into in depth on, um, you know, their background, their, you know, family tree, all this kind of stuff. So there's a lot of information that goes into it, but it really boils down to how well did they play on the football field. So when you, when you see guys, and I, I bet there are some positions that you go, what are they even freaking doing this for? You know, I was thinking about um, – you know, the USC offensive lineman who tears his ACL. We saw a couple of guys pull up with hamstrings, stuff like that. At what point do you go, you know what, we might not be necessarily doing this position group a favor if we keep making them do these things like the 40-yard dash for a guy who's 340 pounds, unless it's super impressive. Uh, I don't know what the point really is to have those guys go through it. So what are the things that you're, you're going, look, this doesn't matter that we see this because it obviously is awful when a guy tears an ACL or – or gets hurt at a combine where they could be making millions of dollars uh, in the next year? Yeah, no question. I think there is, you know, a certain a, a certain amount of marketability to it. Uh, the 40-yard dash is, you know, kind of irrelevant at this point for the most part, but it's there because a lot of people want to watch that. That's kind of one of the, you know, drills, events that kind of draws the national attention. But you're right. I mean, how much – does it actually help you evaluate certain positions? It doesn't really help you evaluate the offensive linemen. The 10-yard split is more important than what they run in 40 yards because they rarely do that. Um, you rarely see a player run 40 yards in a straight line. I mean, how many position groups allow you to do that? Wide receiver um, is probably maybe the only one that really asks you to run 40 yards downfield at one point in time. So, yeah, there's definitely some things that are antiquated about it. There is a competition committee that kind of goes through it, um, you know, and tries to look at the current state of the NFL game, the type of stuff that is more applicable to um, what we see on a weekly basis in the NFL, and they try to translate that to the combine. But there are certainly some of those antiquated drills, like you touched on, um, that are just kind of there for people to watch and be entertained by. Uh, we don't, you know, all of these guys get down in a track stance. How many players lined up in a track stance on the football field, you know? So there's 
there's definitely some some wackiness to it, but it's you know it's pure entertainment value in a lot of ways. But uh, you know there are a lot of drills that NFL teams look at and, and you know are able to take certain things from. So when when I played for the Miami Dolphins, we would have this uh, we called it the mini Olympics at the very beginning of training camp, and we did the twelve minute run was one of and and then we did all the combine drills, you know, forties and all that stuff. And there was a guy that ran eight laps, which was a, an all time record. I mean, <laughs> most players because it's around two football fields. It's you know it's not like running around a track. This guy runs eight laps in twelve minutes, and and they cut him like the next day. And it was like, so oh it, it doesn't even mean, it doesn't even mean anything. <laughs> so how do you, how do you evaluate a guy like Anthony Richardson, who really, I thought had a, an impressive combine, but you know, had you, you go back to the film, you go, yeah, there's not a great body of work there. And, and the body of work that is there is a little bit shaky, but he, you know, really <laughs> passes an eyeball test when you see him at the combine. No question. You kind of have to go back to the earlier question that you posed, which is, you know, what's the most important part of the scouting phase? Uh, and that's the film. Um, you know, he may test out of the, he may jump out of the gym. He may run faster than any quarterback that we've seen at his size. How much of that is going to translate to the NFL game if you're unable to process what you're seeing in front of you? If you don't know how to read defenses, if you, you know, take four seconds to read a defense, whereas pressure is barreling down on you in under three, um, you know, how much of that athleticism that we saw in Indianapolis, how much is that going to translate to the next level? Uh, there's going to be elements where people say, you know, allow him to use his athleticism, um, scheme around him so that he's got these opportunities to make plays out of space and, you know, simplify the scheme for him until he kind of develops as a passer. But there's no guarantee that he's going to develop as a passer either. So I understand the team saying, hey, this guy has tremendous athleticism. If we're able to maximize his potential, we could have really something really special here. But at the end of the day, the most important thing about the quarterback position is being able to distribute the football and being able to distribute, distribute the football accurately. Uh, and that's something that we have not seen from Anthony Richardson consistently. So he could certainly get there, and maybe his athleticism allows him some extra time to get to that point. But I have, like most people, um, several reasons for concern that he may never reach that point because the NFL does not allow you a lot of time to develop. It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, we were chatting about our locals here, of course, who uh, have made an impact or maybe didn't make it as big of an impact as they wanted to at the at the uh, Combine. And and I know a lot of stuff is is com- uh, you know the combine and the senior bowl and the pro days that Scott was talking about a lot of these guys are going to be doing a little bit later, but it's all kind of rolled into one. They want to see all of them. They know that the home the uh, home cook kind of situation with the pro days at their own schools might be you know taken with a grain of salt. Combine numbers aren't everything they're cracked up to be. The senior bowl stuff's awesome, and so you get a look at some of these. But you kind of have to ball it all together. So out of the local guys here. Uh, let's talk first about uh, Jaron Hall, who goes in to this draft, a very efficient quarterback in college. He's uh, you know shorter than 
some uh, than a lot of quarterbacks, but certainly not the shortest at the Combine. Uh, where did he go with this weekend and the Senior Bowl and everything? And kind of where do you think he's going to end up in the draft? Uh, will he end up getting drafted? Yeah, I think he had a solid performance. It was just kind of difficult to notice any of these quarterbacks with, with all the hype that was surrounding the big three that were throwing. Um, you know, but he he didn't do any of the testing, so you kind of look at the raw statistics, kind of below average arm length, um, you know, average hand size, stuff like that. But I think what you've seen over the course of his career is just a really gritty leader that is capable of willing his team to victory. Um, we've seen him, you know, really grind out some yardage on the ground, uh, just a really effective, productive player at the college level. So, I think he is somebody that translates to the next level. I think there's going to be a role for him in the NFL. Um, but, man, it was really difficult to uh, to pick out those quarterbacks outside of the big three uh, with all the buzz that was surrounding him. Um, you know, position emphasis changes over time. Tight ends are a big deal now more so than maybe they were in the past. But if you're, if you're building a, an NFL team, and you're doing it through the draft. Outside of quarterback, what what's the number one position that you you've got to start with? You get you have to have that foundational player to really build a, a successful team. Yeah, I'm a believer in the offensive line, so I think it starts with offensive tackle. Um, I mean, depending on who you ask at the NFL level, some may say edge rusher, some may say cornerback. Uh, wide receiver has obviously grown in, in importance lately with. Um, you know, this transition to more of a pass-heavy game. So you may ask five different people and get five different answers, but to me it always boils down to the trenches once you get past the quarterback position. So I'm a believer in building that, uh, you know, a strong offensive line and allowing that quarterback the time that he needs to distribute the football. So for me it's offensive tackle, and this year's class uh, is not necessarily the strongest that we've seen in recent years. But I think teams that are sitting there in the top 20 are going to be able to find some really good players that uh, could step into the position that really we lack a, a, you know, a standard of quality play across the NFL. I think there's a shortage of those type of guys. But for me, it's offensive tackle. I know if you, you know, ask several different people, you'll get different answers. Uh, let's go to another guy who is looked at as uh, undersized but certainly has uh, had a tremendous career. Um Clark Phillips out of the University of Utah, who was a you know first team uh, in consensus All American, you know across the board for the Utes, uh, but you know being five nine and one hundred eighty four pounds, that comes up like right off the bat. So where does he fit? Is he more of a corner? Is he a nickel guy? What position would he end up in, and where is he going to get drafted? Yeah, I think he plays bigger than his size, so that's going to allow him the possibility to play on the boundary a little bit more. But I think. He'll probably be, uh, you know, I think that they'll probably slide him inside to the nickel position just because of traditional standards that the teams often have. Uh, and in today's NFL, that's a starting role. A lot of these teams that, you know, are facing wide receiver, you know, three set wider, three wide receiver sets are going to be putting three cornerbacks out on the field. So Clark Phillips, I think, has a role, even if you view him as a nickel. Um, now you wanted to see a little bit faster of a time for him at 184 pounds. You ran a four five one in the 40, um, you know, solid split, ten, uh, solid 10 yard split, 1.51 didn't test really explosive in the jumps, but I think you have to lean on what you saw from the tape and what you see on the tape is a really feisty player that plays bigger than his size. Like I said, so he's always in a position to make a play on the ball. Somebody that, um, you know, you can trust to be around the football at the next level. And I think that's just as valuable 
as some of these athletic testing that we see. I think a player that has that innate ability to be around the football is is way more important than somebody that can run a 4-3 but doesn't necessarily have that feel for the game. Why is it that some teams just do a really good job of drafting players and other teams just can't seem to figure it out? Man, that's a really good question. Um, yeah, you look at teams like Baltimore that seem like they knock it out of the park every every year, and I think it's a matter of you know taking the value that is available to you, um, not reaching for certain positions. If you've got a need at a certain position, but maybe the value isn't there, stick to your board, take the best player available, and hope that it works out because that's why you pay these scouts at the end of the day to do all of this homework, to you know grade the tape, back these players up, you want to add quality football players to your roster at the end of the day. So I think the teams that have a process, that stick to their process, and they're also good at trading and making the most of the teams that maybe get a little bit too aggressive in search for certain positions, um, I think those are the teams that we often find a lot of success, the ones that don't panic but just have a process and stick to it. As we uh, kind of go through uh, some of these other players and – you know, when they make an impact in the league, who knows when it could be when they're going to get their shot uh, and, you know, things of that nature. It all comes up. Um, but a guy that I think that we all saw make massive strides was uh, uh, Blake Freeland out of BYU, who, you know, sets all these records at the combine. And again, it's another one of those things where you go, it's, ma- it's a massively important deal that you have a great day at the combine. But what does his day at the Combine actually translate into when it comes to draft stock, and where is he going to go in the, in the draft? I think he's going to get bumped up a little bit because of the potential that he that he showed in Indianapolis. But at the end of the day, he, he does have issues with dropping anchor against stronger pass rushers. Um, he needs to be stronger at the point of attack, through his core, all of that kind of stuff, but you're looking at a player that has the size that is coveted from NFL teams, somebody that has the athleticism, obviously, because he was essentially at the top of every single category as far as athletic testing at the combine. Um, So he's got that potential to be something more, but you really need an experienced offensive line coach that's going to be able to work with him, show him how to sink his hips into contact, you know, absorb some of that contact a little bit better, um, and really redirect, because I think once – he has all of the tools to be successful. Now he just needs a little bit more refining from a uh, coach to the next level to really maximize his potential. Tight end is another position that's uh, really um, been, you know, having has a greater value than it used to. And uh, Dalton Kincaid at Utah, a lot of folks are talking about him as a first-round guy. Uh, where, where do you see Dalton Kincaid? I think he's a first-round caliber player. Um, you know, at the top of this, I said that it's kind of a volatile draft. Somebody may see somebody at 15 and somebody else may have him at 50. I think Kincaid is in that next group of players that, depending upon what you're looking for, is certainly a first-round caliber player because he's a really fluid athlete. He runs good routes. He's got soft hands. And in today's NFL, where it's so pass-heavy, you're looking for those dynamic playmakers that can that can exploit um, some mismatches. You know, with the way that he moves, a lot of people compare him to Travis Kelsey with the way he moves, the way he catches the football, his ability to make plays after the catch. That's valuable in today's NFL. Not every pass catcher has to be a wide receiver. If you have somebody that has great side, but size but also has that speed, the way that Kincaid has, 
Um, you're talking about a player that is really difficult to defend, and I think teams are going to look at him as a weapon in the pass game just as much as some of these top wide receivers in this class. And maybe that's why you see him go higher because we do not have the type of wide receivers at the top of this class that we're accustomed to having. So maybe that's an opportunity for Kincaid to kind of exploit a weaker market and be taken a little bit earlier than what we would see in most years. Josh Edwards, you can follow him on Twitter, Edwards CBS out of CBS Sports, and get your uh, draft coverage and uh, anything else when it comes to uh, the NFL coming up here at the end of uh, April. It's uh, a, quite an interesting time in these young men's lives, and so we're looking forward to it. Josh, thanks for your help, man. Awesome. Absolutely. Done. All right, there you go. We will uh, take the break here. I like hearing I like hearing that those guys are going to have a shot. I like hearing that, that, that uh, Jaron Hall – still would have a shot. You know, I think a lot of folks kind of have him between a late-round guy and not being drafted. But I've heard it all, right? I mean, I've heard guys on this station who go, you know, who are quote-unquote draft experts that go, yeah, man, he's not going to get drafted. Uh, it might be a nice third quarterback addition for camp, you know, to see. But um, the the thing that I did see with him was a lot of folks go, this, is, this guy is definitely uh, an NFL quarterback caliber guy. And if it's going to be a backup role for a minute, then uh, then do it. And see what you can do, and see, and just prove yourself. Um, but yeah, awesome stuff. I love that these guys are going to just have their lives turned over uh, for the positive in the next few weeks. It's just a really fun time. It was a fun draft day for you, wasn't it, Scott? Sure, I got drafted. <laughs> what did you guys eat? What was the food Hated that was served? Draft. Was it the pie served at your no, uh, draft party? <laughs> no, that no, was uh, ice cream from the creamery. Hey guys, we're about a we're about a month and a half away from Scott. Uh, being super grumpy for no for no reason in particular on draft night, except for just remembering the PTSD that he got from uh, not being drafted in the first couple of rounds. So fourth round, oh boo hoo, fourth round sounds terrible. Oh my gosh! <laughs> all right, we'll take the break. We'll come back. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.